The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. And welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware and sometimes server hardware podcast. It is, as of this week, the number nine podcast in the Philippines and number seven in Paraguay. And actually number 50 in Malta. I I bring up Malta just because I had a teacher that was an advisor to the Maltese government. But I'm getting entirely off subject, just trying to show love to some of our overseas fans. Um, Yeah, I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by a fan favorite. Um, I, I think we refer to you as the server engineer anonymous. I mean, uh, it's been a year. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone? Because there's a lot of new people to Broken Silicon and Moore's Law is Dead. Oh, yeah. I've not listened to it. You know, um, just uh, a little. Um, no, I've been working with uh, servers uh, only for 20 years now. So I have long uh, experience. I've worked in both uh, the healthcare space and currently in the financial space. Uh, that's the two primary industries I worked in. Um, when I worked in the healthcare space, I also ran the entire shop. So, uh, and then I moved on to financials, predominantly for financial reasons, but financials. And uh, we're tasked with managing environment of over 5,000 machines. So that environment has 150,000 machines. So 40,000 uh, physical machines. So. That's so when you say 40,000 physical machine, what is inside each one of those, you know, quote unquote, physical machines? Uh, they're VMs. And, and what hardware specifically per one, just so people get an idea of what you mean. The area I work in is uh, what we call mid-range. Those are x86 mm-hmm. hardware. Then you also have the Unixes. So you got, you know, you got PowerPC uh, AIX machines. Then you have... Mm. Uh, Solaris Spark machines, which are a dying platform. That platform is going away over time. Uh, actually, when I first started in industry, it was predominantly SCO and Solaris with a little bit of Linux. And over the years, Linux pretty much took over. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I'm at is I work with a team that deals with uh, HPC. So it's actually my first experience with HPC. And part of their HPC is involving with uh, GPU compute, uh, mm-hmm. doing financial markets analysis and risk analysis. And then I also work on the uh, the private cloud side, which is basically a pool of compute resources that other teams in the enterprise uh, use uh, utilize to service their applications, uh, whatever that might be. So I guess as a another good like starting point, I think actually we should go back just a little bit to recapping what we discussed early. Well, I guess it would be would have been mid to late 2019. We often talked about the security problems you had to deal with with all those uh, Intel security vulnerabilities. I mean, I don't want to you know spend too much cuz too much time i would recommend people listen to the previous episodes but like why don't you know if we could just do like a 5 minute rundown like 
how big of a deal? Well, I, I don't even remember. To be honest, I'm starting to not even remember. What was the first big Intel security vulnerability? And like, how did that hit you? And how did that impact your work? Well, I learned it uh, from a, my brother who's actually in uh, the, also does servers. Um, uh, in his case, it's telecommunication. And he notified me about the, uh, the uh, meltdown inspector. Mm-hmm. And this was in January of 2018. And I think when we looked into it, I think we realized this was a major, major deal because the biggest impact is basically when you run uh, virtual machines where applications or uh, applica- where you can actually jump the barrier between virtual machines. So you, you can get data for running on one virtual machine to another, or you can actually leak real data out. Uh, that's a big deal because up until then, um, virtualization, we always assumed the hardware was secure. That's mm-hmm. why we want to virtualize it so that we don't have, because most of the vulnerabilities that up until then was mostly, was always software based. Mm-hmm. So, so by having virtual machines and we break out the, the application, you can into, control them centrally. You can then, control yeah. the security. You can, now we've lost that control. And so we knew that this was a big, big deal. And then we also learned that Meltdown, Spectre affected pretty much everybody, but Meltdown was the big one that impacted Intel only. And if you put the mitigation in, you were going to lose performance. Which wasn't typically true of the vulnerabilities coming out of AMD, that their performance losses would be significantly less than what was hitting Intel, it's, right? I mean, there is, but it's, it's, you're not going to notice it. It's so insignificant. It's less than 5% mm-hmm. in, in, in aggregate. It's more like two to three percent. You're not going to notice it. And I remember by the end of 2019, you know, the end of year episode, we did kind of that. We started talking about how at once you I don't even remember all of them. Wasn't there one called Netcat? And Netcat. yeah, there were a bunch of these. And once you added them all up, didn't you say performance was like halved by the end of the year? Um, in my case, I actually got off lucky. I only lost about 40 percent. Mm-hmm. So I got off lucky. Other people, it's you're talking 50, 60 percent. It's it's uh, some cases, 70 percent. And you can actually feel the machine bogging down. Um, uh, It got to a point where we end up where uh, it was better to actually disable hyper threading. Right. And so we get our performance back, but then we have to double up on the capacity. And and because of the situation, uh, because we we don't want to be caught short, we have to triple up the capacity. So that's why when Intel had that uh, capacity issue, it was basically people buying up servers like no tomorrow. And, and that was a big thing I hammered pretty hard late last year that a lot of people, including some people I talked to and sometimes even advise in the financial industry, they're like, well, look at how popular Intel is. They have all of these capacity problems. And it's like, yeah, these capacity problems are not a coincidence. This is happening when, like you said, some servers are at a third capa- at a third performance. And so they, when you have all of your software written for an Intel server, when you have all of your engineers used to working with these symptoms, um, I mean, systems, it's often cheaper, or it was for a lot of people, to simply buy more of what they're already used to using, yeah. make a bigger server room, than it would be to just yeah. go, oh, I guess we're just going to turn everything off and switch to AMD over the course of a month. Like you didn't have time the, for that. It's a dumb thing to do. It's too risky. Um, 
Uh, you deal. It's not a, a sure thing, right? So no, much could go not. wrong. And, and 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 even over the year, um, I've already encountered probably a dozen applications, really old ones. This is stuff that goes all the way back to the early two thousands. And you have to realize the average lifespan of a business application is about twenty five years. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about applications going back to two thousand. This is basically Windows two thousand era applications win 32 and you don't know how compatible they'll be with this new server you would switch to if it was amd or you know again it's just easier to buy more just didn't work yeah didn't work on amd you know that's a very big reason why the capacity problem happened with intel was actually their own mistakes were making them sell more chips temporarily you know it's the the reason was at the time when we uh, CPUs weren't nearly as powerful, so they had to build them as close to the hardware as possible to get the most performance out of them, mm-hmm. which was great for CPUs of that era. You're talking about Pentium 2 errors, you know, Pentium, Pentium 2 errors. But then the downside is that it, if you need to switch, it's very hard to switch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, um, and, and I got burned by this too, is, uh, these days, what I look for is before I enter into any kind of vendor relationship with any hardware, whether it's hardware or software or services, is mm-hmm. I always look for an exit strategy. Before I even enter into the relationship, I'm always thinking, how do I exit out of it? And how do I exit out of it with the least amount of cost and pain and problems possible? Mm-hmm. If I can't exit out of the platform easily, I don't enter into relationship. It's that simple. And, and have you been looking at it through that perspective more so now than before, or were you always looking at it that way? Because it seems like a lot of people were basically, uh, I mean, it's a harsh then, phrase, CPUs but stuck with Intel. Nearly as powerful. CPUs weren't nearly as powerful, so you have to go after performance. Uh, that was at that time. Uh, uh, today, you pretty much have all the resources you need. You want to make sure that you want to commoditize all your hardware and software and services. So you want to have and the ability to leave is your ultimate trump card over mm-hmm. the vendor. It's the ultimate hammer you have over a vendor. It's it puts the power in your hands, mm-hmm. and you must maintain that power. Um, and that's why it. Takes a lot of people time. couldn't leave Intel though. That's when they realized that you know when all of this happened. Well, you can't. You know, I mean, even yeah. I couldn't. You know, even 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 I couldn't as easily. You know. I still have Intel Xeons, but it's pretty much for the smaller applications, you know, for those older applications. And, you know, like most, we're trying to hold on to our Intel because there's a cost of switching over. Mm-hmm. Which is something you talked about, too, that you can't just be like, certainly 10% better than Intel isn't good enough. 20%, 30%, double usually isn't. It nope. takes like, <clears throat> it would take something just magnitudes better to make at you least switch. four times yeah because when you're switching that was a big discussion we had last year as well like you're not thinking oh this is it's not like a gamer now where it's like this is 20 percent better and i'll only own this for a year you're planning for decades and so you need to be years. so much better you're losing money right if you don't switch right yeah 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 you have to be the risk of it's always better to stick with what you got because that's always the least <laughs> amount of risk uh, it's all about, you know, when you deal with servers, unlike desktops, it's all about risk management, risk mitigations, and you always want to pick the least risk. Uh, money's not an issue because the cost is the downtime. 
not right the hardware at least in like financials medical like you know critical operations the operations more important than saving a buck yes because uh when i was working in healthcare one of the things that keep me up at night was having the system down and then the physicians in the er don't have the data and don't have the data in a timely manner manner and the person dies right so that's something we talked about so much though was like amd would just have to be you know light years better vi pass writes in just like you guys can if you support us on patreon and he says has the cost to benefit ratio for converting to amd happened yet or is buying intel still more cost effective they're still validating so right now and because of the pandemic uh Mm -hmm. any kind of validation is being put on hold oh so that doesn't help them at all. <laughs> so it's going to be about. I mean, at my uh, workplace, it's being pushed off a year. They were going to. They were going to look at Epic this year, but because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, that's going to be pushed off. Yeah, I remember you saying that in the first podcast you were on. I believe you said it was. Yeah, it was episode eight. You were talking about how oh maybe you know by Zen three or four, and then all of a sudden like more security vulnerabilities kept coming out to the point that you were like, well, you know what? Now we might do it by Zen three. But then now this pandemic hits, and so it looks like it's being pushed back again, right? That just to recap it for people listening, that was my yeah, understanding. That's, that's that's for most companies, and in in fact, again, it takes at least an entire server cycle. An entire service cycle is about ten years. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always say it's uh, twenty. Really, the 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 make and break year is twenty twenty five. Right. Because so, you have to go through an entire server CPU uh, uh, server life cycle. Mm-hmm. So you would say all this instability from, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic in many ways, I shouldn't say help that that's not it it hurt. (laughs) No companies liked having to deal with this. But you're saying that that's kind of maybe cemented Intel for a little bit longer with some people that were thinking of switching, at least with your company. We can't speak for everyone, right? Uh, Actually, it's probably going to hurt Intel. More than AMD. Um, yeah. Um, what's happened? What I I learned last year, we had a year end meeting, and I just and, and I learned that the uh, the hardware team they're going to go for all Intel servers. They're going from seven year cycles down to three year cycles. This is something I've heard oh. from the few peers I get to talk to. They've switched all of them to three year cycles now. So. Well, they can't switch to AMD yet because of validation. They've certainly cemented a much shorter cycle for using Intel then. That's corporate. We're talking about, you know, 40,000 machines having to cycle every three years Mm -hmm. instead of every seven years. Well, and so I guess, you know, that's one conversation. But now that Zen 3 is officially announced and we know public raw numbers about it like what is your take on how competitive zen 3 is with what intel has right now for your older for your older monolithic windows like application it's going to make a a significant difference games are monolithic applications right and they're generally latency latency intensive right yeah well the bigger interconnected cache is going to make a big difference on those types of applications the stuff I work on is mostly like the cloud stuff, the container stuff, the small app stuff on Linux, because they could fit into the smaller cache of Zen 2. We'll probably get a boost, but not by much. I don't think more than the standard 15% yeah, or something. 
probably not, probably maybe five, maybe five percent, maybe ten percent at at most. So you don't think that for your uses, Zen three changes the situation that much? Like no. it, they're just AMD is better than Intel still. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it makes a bigger difference for the Windows applications. Now, and of course that varies depending on. You know, again, there are some types of servers, there are some types of applications where Zen 3 could be this giant increase. But you're saying, at least for you guys, this isn't that moment yet where it's four times. Where would you put it at if it isn't? Well, when I compared Broadwell Xeons to um, uh, Zen 2, it was already four times. It was actually... You mean uh, Skylake or Cascade Lake or whatever? Yeah, it, it was already four times. Okay. So yeah. AMD's. So from your perspective, it's but not a matter between of between Zen two and Zen three. That it, it, it's not much of a difference, at least for my application. You're it's saying AMD's company. already hit that critical mass. It's just a matter of time for people to switch, and that you know, like you're saying, if they're already four times, then we're already at that point. It's just it's gonna take time to actually validate and switch over. Yeah, it's 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 predominantly going to be your newer application. I just don't think your older application they're going to switch them over. It's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing is that the newer applications, they're, they're, that's all yet to be written. Uh, m you know, most of you are probably familiar with uh, Twitter and Google and Apple and all those uh, companies, Am and Amazon. Those companies are are pretty small uh, in terms of the the, the number of servers they use relatively than than what the vast majority of business use both big and small and the vast majority of you're talking like institutions like major banks and stuff like that uh pretty much any company like your retailers your large retailers your smaller franchisees you know let's say mcdonald's well, amazon isn't a small company they have a lot of data to handle on their servers i'm, I'm talking about the aggregate of all those cloud hyperscalers is still oh, you're saying like quite literally, yes, we know Amazon is announcing they're switching, but Amazon is not the entire market. That's what no. you're saying. Yeah, it's not the entire market. Most of those applications are really, they run a couple applications on, and they're generally very, very old applications. I don't see them ever switching to uh, AMD. And it's, quite frankly, Intel's actually cheaper than AMD on those small servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when you get to the big How, servers. In what ways are they cheaper? Is it just literally they're selling the CPUs for less money, the servers for less money, or what? It's it's total price of the server. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's easier to get them you know, versus, say, uh, a small A&D server. Okay. Well, Jordan writes in and he says, hey there, as far as I'm aware, Intel has had a much higher server chip market share than AMD for quite some time. As AMD, well, yeah, that's an understatement. As AMD continues to deliver more compelling products and server, do you foresee companies adopting them given the greater inertia in the space compared to the consumer market? If so, over what type of time scale? Cheers, Tom. I don't expect AMD to get to 50%. That's not going to happen simply because of the volume that Intel. And you're not even talking out. 10 years. You're just talking ever. You don't think yeah. ever or it would take Intel basically going out of business for that to happen. You're basically going to have the entire enterprise market go over to cloud and they go over to virtualization and they are going to go with uh, by that point, And a lot of those hyperscales are going to go with AMD. So hyperscales by AMD, then all the entire enterprise market goes to the cloud. And so their applications work on AMD. 
Mm-hmm. That's probably that, that's that's I believe is probably AMD's strategy rather than try to go after these kind of uh, small uh, outlying sites or even businesses running app just basic applications. They're not even doing a lot of virtualization in a lot of these businesses. These this is in the SMB world. Mm-hmm. It's only really the big companies that are doing the virtualization. Uh, the smaller companies they don't really do that. So a lot of security vulnerabilities with Intel it, it really doesn't apply to them either. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this way then. So you're saying if, <laughs> and I know this is kind of a, like, I, cause I just want to put it into perspective, kind of what you might be suggesting. Are you, if Intel literally didn't release better products, they just kept selling the same ones they are now forever. Do you think AMD could take over then take over 50% market share in 10 years? Definitely not 10 years. So even if Intel literally just basically kept selling what they're selling now forever, you think they would just keep people would just keep using Intel in in the enterprise space. It's we want steady Eddie. You know, they, they want what's more important to them is supply chain stability and security. So in fact that you think people basically just replace servers that break and they just keep buying the same ones instead of moving. They just to replace them every five years. Those businesses, they replace them every five years. Hmm. So, I mean, so where, so I, and the, and the conversation a lot of them are done through the channel partners, that's, that's the thing. Right. And a lot of the, the, the way I'm trying kind of steering this part of the conversation is then what part of the market do you think is, shall we say, interested in the performance increase AMD has over Intel in the server market? So you're the saying AMD, computing feel. right. But like, so do you think it's probably like 30% is the most AMD could ever hope for? Like if not 50, I think the most they can do is by like 35%. 35%. Okay. And that's actually for Intel, that's a danger zone for Intel too. Yeah. It's kind of like how I explain to people with NVIDIA versus Radeon. It's like, you know, oh, AMD will never get to 50% market share in gaming desktops. It's like, well, yeah, but you have to understand how much at this point NVIDIA relies on their gaming revenue. If AMD got to 40%, that's a problem for NVIDIA. <laughs> It's kind of the same thing with getting to 35% in server versus Intel, right? Well, the way I see AMD going to 50% is basically a lot of businesses giving up on having their own hardware. Oh, I see. And so basically going to people like Microsoft and Amazon to run the yes. servers for Google, them. Yep, yep. Uh, and there, they're going to want security. So I guess what you're kind of saying then, though, is if you do get your Amazons and your Microsofts, to, you know, to switch over. They're the distribution channel. So right. So I can see, and this is. You so you can see 50%, but right, they would have to basically rely on Amazon and Microsoft. Yeah, it, so it would have to be ten more than 10 years from now, because you don't see that happening right away, right? Um, I'm more conservative on timelines. You know, people always think that's around the corner, and it's not. I've been in this industry for a long time, it's just not going to take that short a period of time. Even 10 years is a bit optimistic. Mm-hmm. And that also goes with ARM as well. You know, the idea of ARM taking over, I don't see that happening. Not to even get a shot, it's, you're talking at least 30 to 40 years. Out. <laughs> Who knows what computers will be using by then, my God. Yeah. It's, you have to rewrite all your applications. You got to mm-hmm. revalidate. And the other thing is that uh, is it is it really worth it? You know, what's my return on investment for the t- remember businesses got to pay for labor. It's not like, you know, you're in a hobby, you get to do your own stuff. No, mm-hmm. business got to pay labor. 
and they got to have a secure, reliable source of labor and talent. And if you don't have a lot of people with talent on the arm side, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Especially the fact that you can get the same thing on x86. And if, uh, if AMD really makes things efficient, and then I think there was an interview between uh, one of the uh, tech tubers and uh, uh, Mark Papermaster and talked about uh, ARM and, and x86. And it's basically, it's just, you can have your ISA have any kind of, uh, you can build any kind of efficiency into your ISA. So potatoes are life rights in, and he says, hello, Mr. Server guy. Glad to see your return. Just a few questions. In Broken Silicon 25, you said it takes about five years for a software stack to mature for a new product. Has this been accelerated for AMD because of the continual issues Intel faced? I think you'd say you said yes to that, right? That that was accelerated. It's accelerated, but I mean, you still, I stand by five years because I I know how these companies work. I know how they act. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've also known how how I've done it. I mean, when I was in the healthcare space, I had less red tape there because I ran the show. And to go from Intel 32-bit mm-hmm. CPU, CPUs to Intel 64-bit Xeons, this is mm-hmm. 32-bit Xeons to 64 Xeons, took eight years to do. Mm-hmm. It took me eight years to validate and test everything. From 2006, didn't finish until 2014. So if you think about it, I don't have a lot of red tape, and yet it took me that long Mm-hmm. What makes you think that a company is going to, with a lot more red tape, a lot more bureaucracy, is going to get done in five years? In, in and, less than five and years. then you also run servers personally, though, right? Yes, I do. So that's why, and that's something in past episodes, I think some people were confused. He's like, well, he says he has this, but then he doesn't. It's like, you have to understand you're in charge of, like, at work, and then you also have other servers you run for all, yeah, all different that's, types that's, of things, well, right? That's, that's uh, with my people. And he also asked Potatoes Are Life. Also, how has your 7002P been doing over the past year? I hear various people had issues with virtualization on the Epic platform. Did you? No. If if they did, they're probably using really uh, probably using software that uh, they they're probably using um, Naples, mm-hmm. and they were probably using uh, software that was still in alpha mode. That's why you got to wait. You can't you can't rush into it. This is this is the fact that they have virtualization problem. That is fully expected. That's why mm-hmm. you don't rush into it. That's why I take my time. Under normal circumstances, I would have waited until 2024, 2025 to buy my first Epic server. Mm-hmm. By that point, you'd be talking about Zen 6, the software, everything would be all set up, lined up. You get any kind of problem would have been already resolved by then. That was the original timeline. But mm-hmm. Intel's repeated security vulnerabilities and the constant loss of performance, I had to move the uh, schedule up to Zen 3. And then when Netcat hit, at that point, I had no way of defending the server. And I've already been hit. Uh, I've already, every data center, whether I worked in the company or, I work, or it's my own servers, all of them has always been hit by outsiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I had a situation where I cannot defend, uh, where I cannot defend the server at that point i had to put the cutoff point and uh, that was the end of the line and so and that's I when you went to zen 2 out of you know rapidly. yeah it was ideally i would prefer zen 3 but the, the situation forced its hand and i had to go to uh settle for zen 2 and in fact the server the server i got the uh, was not even my first choice it was actually my fifth choice my first choice to get a 24 core 
Mm-hmm. But because everyone was, jam- uh, was trying to get Epic at the same time, I just couldn't get them. You know, I couldn't get the 24 and the 16 course. And even getting Naples was getting was challenging as well. So ultimately, what I was able, what I could get was a 32 core or a 64 core. The problem is that the difference between the 32 core and the 64 core, and the fact that the 64 core can be low has double the memory, the total cost difference was only twenty five hundred dollars. You're talking about mm-hmm. eight five hundred versus eleven thousand. Yeah, <laughs> you might as well go for it then, right? Yeah. So it. It it was not worth trying to save the twenty five hundred dollars. It, it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wind up getting the sixty four core. Uh, it was not even my first choice. My number fifth choice. And um, at least it was a fun choice, right? It kind of got me annoyed because I really didn't want to spend that kind of money. I, I was already mm-hmm. annoyed by having to spend that money that soon. You know, I I rather pay off my house, pay my house faster. It, it mm-hmm. delayed my me paying off the house by four months. Mm-hmm. I was not a happy camper with that. Though 2020 hindsight, uh, in the end, I was glad I ended up getting that 64 core uh, because now we're really using that server a lot more. Before, we were doing about 34 to 40% utilization on the 64 core. Mm-hmm. Now, we've actually maxed it out at 85% at the height of the pandemic. Right. And it starts tailing off. Basically, we dropped down to around 70%. Now, with uptick, it's starting to go back up again. So we're about 80%. Well, so but, let me round out this part of the conversation this way. Um, you know, so let's remove the a little bit the fact that AMD is much more performance per socket right now. Just in general, how do you see AMD's competitiveness with Intel in the server space? Because it's not just raw performance. It's also, you know, their software, their support, their supply chain. How competitive are they versus Intel in 2020 versus where they were in 2019? They're very competitive. Much more than before? Yeah, it's it's definitely so. Um, uh, again, the, the pandemic just simply puts a hold on the validation just because you got to keep the lights on. You got to keep the service running. Mm-hmm. And there are priorities beyond just validating you know, a new hardware. You, you got to first keep the lights on. That's first priority. Keep the lights on. To be specific, I mean, right, like, because in 2019, there seemed to be a lot of concerns about if AMD could really give you the support you needed. You're saying you're not that worried about that anymore. And, 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 and kind of to just jump to the conclusion I'm kind of leading this towards, then it sounds like you're saying AMD's not hitting 50, but they could hit 35%. And you're saying there's no reason they shouldn't hit 35% eventually, as long as they continue to innovate over Intel like they are. Yeah, the other thing that you have to think about is that with the fact that my uh, that my employer and others are cycling hardware every three years, mm-hmm. what's happening is uh, at that point when you're cycling hardware that frequently, cap capital expenditures becomes a bigger uh, becomes a bigger percentage of your TCO versus right. efficient versus uh, operational costs. Mm-hmm. So you want the cheap because you're going to buy it, churn it, burn and junk it quickly you want to buy the cheapest service possible ah, so, where is that my av wasn't as much of a consideration before but now that you're cycling hardware the price performance advantage amd has is a bigger deal no on even on intel because oh, remember okay. these, these are applications they they have to stay on intel for now okay and they and these these server chips that they're buying they're buying the cheapest 
server chips, the cheapest per core server, server chips they can find. And so there have been cases where that those class of chips have been in short supply. Mm-hmm. Whereas the more expensive chip, the big core count chips, they're not really moving those. And that's different than how it used to be. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a, like when I get on these new servers, they, it's definitely the low core count servers. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this about Intel too then. So I don't know, have you seen the presentations for Ice Lake Server and so on and so forth? Does Ice Lake Server make you excited? You know, the Ice Lake Server chips make you excited at all? Not interested. Don't care about it. Like and like, if you get them, you get them. Otherwise, it's just really not a consideration. Again, it it really sounds like complete. Uh, like you really just don't care if you're getting apathetic. Intel. I'm pretty yeah, apathetic. apathetic. Is the word I was looking for. You're buying Intel because it's Intel because you need to for certain things. It yeah. it really doesn't matter. Like you know how good yeah. Intel Ice Lake is. None of us. I mean, I the the I I had I, I had a talk in a Red Hat conference. You know, I, I talked with. It was the first me I had in nine months. Mm-hmm. them and and you know I, i'll tell you from the sense i got that nobody's really that interested with intel i mean they just buy it because it's just there they just want to keep things running but that's it and they're just going to get the cheapest cheapest stuff they can get that's it so those 14 nanometer ones anyways too probably at the end of the day not the new flashy 10 nanometer server hey. chips you're just going to be looking at whatever the cheapest 14 nanometer they're spitting out is you're going to churn and burn in three years Mm-hmm. You know, um, why spend man? Intel's in a <laughs> Intel. Con- and that's why. And know, by it's a way, good position to be in if you're Intel, I guess. But you can see how they get so complacent. Well, here's the problem: margin on those chips are much smaller than those big, uh, big core count chips. Mm-hmm. So you sur- saw their third, uh, third quarter. Yeah. Almost fifty percent drop in the enterprise space. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there you go. Then yeah. But. This is just one quarter. You got to see it over time. So it's not enough. You know, they may it may be an aberration for all we know. So, but if this continues on for the next even two years, three years, that's trouble. Oh, so you're saying if people continue to look at Intel as what they have to buy instead of maybe wanting to spring for the better, higher profit margin ones that. Yeah. So, so on the one hand, Intel's in a good position in the fact that they're cemented into several markets at like really high market share. But on the other hand, you guys are buying the uh, better price performance stuff. The and, cheapest. Yeah. The and so cheapest Intel does performance. need to improve still, just so you guys start buying stuff they can make more money off of. Well, the thing is that the thing that we we find is that we have to. You don't know what the performance is going to be like. You don't know what the security situation is going to be like after three years. So why buy the better chips if you don't know what the value what the value you're going to get after three years? Mm-hmm. Why spend the money for that extra? Why try to future proof something if you don't know what the actual value you're going to get out of it after three years? You know, and you're talking about if you're buying ten thousand tens of thousands of machines. That's hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. It's, I mean, no, mm-hmm. they're not going to do it. You know, they, they have, you know, the company I work for, they got to answer to shareholders. So let me move on to this question, then skipping ahead a little bit. I mean, how would you summarize in 
even just your perception, right, of Intel's security at this point, late 2020, like we're one year since episode 25, almost exactly. I think maybe or maybe 10 months since then. I don't remember. Like, like, how do you view Intel's security now? Because versus then, you had a lot of bad things to say. Like, how do you see them now? Uh, they're trying. I mean, they've made they 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 did improvements in Cascade. Like that definitely helped. However, they still get hit. Mm. And at this point, you know, we can't play whack-a-mole. Yeah. So we're just going to assume that they're that that they're not secure. And we're going to that's kind of the question I'm asking. You said that last year that you just assumed you're going to lose performance over time with Intel. So you still assume that. Yeah. And and that's why the companies are going to three year cycles. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. So think about (laughs) it. So in my my personal case, I generally keep my service 10 years. Right. Okay, because I don't want to have to cycle the hardware that frequently because it's a pain in the neck. It takes a lot of time and effort. And I rather make money instead of wasting my time. Mm-hmm. So I keep the hardware uh, for 10 years. If I have to go Intel hardware, I have to cycle that hardware three times. Mm-hmm. That's three times the labor cost, three times the expense. So that's why it's just not worth it. That's why I end up just switch. It's cheaper for me to switch over. And right. I only got the my Z. You're saying for your personal server. Yeah, right. my personal server. That server, those servers cost me over $10,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Still have one, but. The other one that cost me $10,000. I only got two years and seven months out of that server. The AMD one? No, the Intel. The Intel one, yeah. Two years and seven months out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so you might as well just plan for three years because you never know if the thing's going to have a ton of problems anyways. Yeah, and, and well, my employer did something really interesting. They actually did something. Rather than try to play whack a mole with all these security vulnerabilities and risking stability prompts, mm-hmm. which we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, instead of playing whack-a-mole, what they did is they restructured the entire network. Right. Think about it. It's, this is a global network. They restructured everything so that no two, so that applications now have to go through a security zoning process. Mm-hmm. So they will assign you a zone where they would allow certain types of applications based oh, on the security okay. requirements. So now they basically are breaking apart the entire pool. Okay. And on top of that, they're also surrounding the entire network of those that security zone with firewalls and security best we call best stone hosts and jump boxes between networks and between different security zones. It's be very, very controlled. Mm-hmm. This way, and the other thing is that we are also spreading out all the applications too. Mm-hmm. So we have clusters, but we're we're basically taking the application. We're having fewer applications on each server. That's why we're buying smaller, cheaper servers mm. so that we can spread them out. Right, and you don't compromise everything at once Yes, if something does happen. Sort of like digital distancing. So we're basically mm. decongregate. So we basically don't allow congregation of applications on the same server. Mm-hmm. So we're basically de-densifying the servers. Which so is- I guess to kind of tie up this part of the conversation, then you would say maybe Intel's made some improvements, but you still the damage is done. You don't view them as reliable. And you would say because and, and, I, and this next question, I preface it. And by they're saying, having trouble trying to buy servers. Mm-hmm. They're still having problems with the supply chain. 
But so you're saying AMD security definitely in 2020 versus 2019 perceived as substantially better, right? None of that's changed. Every now and then you and I don't know, right? I'll just read the headline and it says new AMD security vulnerability. But there's been nothing from AMD in 2020 that's changed that perception. You can have vulnerability. I mean, no chip is going to be 100% secure. Mm -hmm. It's what's the least risk and can you manage the risk? And what is the cost of mitigating the risk? And so far, there's been nothing either that AMD is going to catch up anytime soon in security problems, nor that they can't handle it because they've handled it well. Yeah, I mean, so far, so good. I mean, this um, and whatever problems they have there, it's easily mitigated and with very with no, no cost at all, almost no cost. All right. So let me transition here to some reader mail questions. Um Brad Winter writes in and says, regarding server and cloud infrastructures, is there anything to comment on with Intel's Optane or Micron's QuantX technologies? I don't. Um, I know from my employers, some uh, some of the larger applications, they actually, the, especially the big data applications, they actually like the Optane. Mm-hmm. Uh, those servers are actually physically isolated from the outside world. So they don't actually have none of these servers have access to the internet, so that solves a lot. Uh, so that helps out with the security. Uh, they're they're physically cut off. So VI past writes him. Have you seen anything in the pipeline that would make Radeon viable in AI or professional development? Almost all the applications I use all seem to either gain performance with CUDA or outright require CUDA cores for function. I currently work with 3D modeling and photogrammetry. Uh, yes, right. But you, you're going to see it for there. You see it first in the uh, supercomputing space. Uh, mm-hmm. There, you're seeing more radions going to supercomputing space in the enterprise space, and and where that the uh, reader uh, has says where he's at three. I just don't think you're going to see it right away. Um, uh, the thing is that CUDA has got a ten year head start, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to break that because. One thing that NVIDIA did very well is that they actually cultivate entire uh, generation of people who are tied to their platform. And it's very hard for those people to have invested 10 years of their lives into that platform to change to a different platform. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it to them. They're, They're too far into it. And that's also why, you know, back in my early days in my early career, it was hard for people to switch from Linux to Windows is because those people, they have spent their whole lives on Windows yeah. and it's very hard for them to change, especially the fact that uh, by that point, you know, they're trying to put their kids through college. They're trying they have retirement. They don't want to have to go back to square one and relearn everything. And the other thing is that and I'm starting to feel it myself is that when you start getting a little older, your learning mm-hmm. speeds start to slow down. So it takes longer to learn a new skill and you have less and less time to get a return back on the time invested. And yeah, you get a point where you want to spend time with family and not on, on this stuff as much as you like it, you know, the, the family is starting to become more important. So how do you see, like, I guess, shall we say professional, AMD graphics cards in the market and their ability to take market share 
from NVIDIA, right? Like how like how does that compare to AMD's ability to take CPU market share from Intel? Like do you think it'd be harder? Like what are the differences and the challenges? I mean, like the support CUDA is kind of similar to Intel. Support, it's going to come down though. to software, software ecosystem. Mm-hmm. If you got a software ecosystem and a knowledge base that's based on CUDA, they're not going to change that. It's it, the cost is because the the cost is in the hardware. Uh, the cost is really in the talent pool. Mm-hmm. Um, however, one thing that uh, AMD's got that NVIDIA doesn't is that they're more open. Mm-hmm. And this is my tip uh, to anyone who's wanting to get into the industry. You want to have your skills be tied to an open platform because then mm-hmm. that protects your skills. You don't want your skills to be tied to a closed source pat- platform because then you put all your eggs. You're basically having another company control your livelihood. You don't yeah. want that. And so, uh, and you're going to see companies, especially the newer companies, they're going to want to have control over their own destiny. And they want to have software they can control uh, they have control over, and that's going to be where AMD is going to be strongest in. So uh, there's also AMD's got features that Nvidia does not do well. Uh, like my what? case uh, is in virtualization. Mm-hmm. Um, the way Nvidia does it, they do it with the grid. And I actually tried out. I actually bought the professional Nvidia cards, and I ran into all sorts of driver problems on when I do virtualization. And unfortunately, uh, it was it was not good enough. It it would crash if even if you left it alone. Mm-hmm. And the only way to uh, recover is basically you got to reset the whole machine, and that's not a workable situation. And so that's when I went to uh, and I struggled with it for nine months, and that's when I went to AMD and it took me about half an hour to get it working. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, so it sounds like you're saying established yeah. applications NVIDIA is doing right now. They're going to keep that, but that as people learn, but that the market is at the same time moving to more open applications, of course, open and people are learning be, them. Yeah. Open will always be proprietary because, especially if you have applications have a 25 year lifespan, 20 to 25 year lifespan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically because of, that's the average length of a person's career. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you know, it's funny, by the way, I've heard people say, when is AMD going to have an answer to CUDA? Like they should have their own version of it. And I go, well, I think their answer is to stay open. Right. I don't think AMD is going to. Right. Yeah. They're never going to compete by making a closed thing. Right. They, they won't. They, they won't be able to make it. No, it's the thing about it is that proprietary anything just don't age well. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm not in that space, but in the embedded space, um, I know people that work in that space. I'm not in that space. But one of the biggest challenges is trying to support really, really old system. It just gets mm-hmm. really, really hard. If you have an open system, it's you can. It's always easy to get support for that. Because oh, of course, even yeah. if the company is gone, you can still get access to software. Someone can do something with support, it. Uh, and then somebody else enterprising can actually start a company supporting that old system. But mm-hmm. if you got a closed source proprietary software and there's no one there to support, well, you're kind of done. Mm-hmm. It, it dies, it goes away and it, you can't get it back. And so proprietary just don't age well. And that's something that, that we all see in, in our space is we see that that's why we want everything to be open. So, 
I guess then the next logical thing to ask is how do you see Intel entering the server market with their graphics cards, right? Like, or their, you know, compute cards. Like, how do you see their ability to compete? It's probably hard to say because they don't have a whole lot right now, but like, do you think it'll be even harder for Intel to get in? Or do you think maybe they just have an advantage because they can sell it through their servers they already have a large market share in? Well, if they try to put something proprietary, they're not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. By and large, the industry is getting tired of proprietary anything. You know, this this one is not really with AMD, but this is actually something that uh, AMD is really pushing on. It's called HCI, Hyper Converged Infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And in a nutshell, it's just a kind of fancy term for saying virtualized machines, virtualized networks, and virtualized storage. So you have software-defined networking, software-defined storage, and virtual machines. Mm-hmm. running on a pool of machines that's complete. So you have your infrastructure completely abstracted from the hardware. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is then you're not tied to any proprietary uh, platform and you can integrate the management and the resource management and the security on one roof that you have control over. Mm-hmm. That's why it's such, it's such a big deal in the service space. It's called HCI. I'm actually doing that at home. I'm doing it at my data center, and we're doing it in the in at work too. All right. So I've got a few random questions here before we transition into a, like another phase of the conversations. Dominic Cock writes and he says, "Why are CPUs and frankly anything of the sort vulnerable to over-the-air hacking? Why can't every component avenue of attack in a CPU be encrypted with something like an RSA key?" They're trying. AMD is as close as you can get. We're going to eventually get there where everything, where it's, it, what, what we have is we have uh, different states of data. So you have data at rest, like storage devices, hard drives, SSDs. That's actually has always been encrypted in the enterprise space. So you have self-encrypted hard drives. I got those. What's new is that we have something called data in flight, which is uh, in the memory. So the, the memory is encrypted. And the area where the last bastion where you have any kind of vulnerability is called data in use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And AMD is trying to solve that with the SEV, and I'm actually working on that. So uh, I was going to do it this year. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I'm going to have to push it off to next year. Again, stability is just got to keep things running. I mean, I haven't, I have not touched my, uh, touched my own service for all since the start of the pandemic. So, why? So just to follow up on this question, though, you're saying, well, they're trying to do that. Why do you think, and this may sound dumb, but like, why weren't they trying to do that sooner before? Or were they? Or like, why now? Because of the new vulnerabilities? Because of this impetus? Well, or just because they needed it. Right. So it's because AMD actually thought to do it, right? Exactly. And like an Intel didn't, just wasn't doing anything because they need to, Well, frankly. they have something called SGX, but that was, that was basically a way of tying the software onto their platform so you can't exit off their platform very easily it's a stupid thing it's completely ineffective when mm-hmm. i first learned about it years ago it was i knew it right away it's completely garbage it was also power play to try to trap people uh, trap businesses on their platform oh well and i wasn't having any of that Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? 
Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. So discussion point number seven that I have here was what are you looking for out of Zen 4? And then I guess you would say Intel's closest competitor will be Sapphire Rapids at the end of next year, early 2022. I don't know. We kind of talked about it. I, I mean, it kind of seemed like you were just more interested in stability. But like, what? I don't know if you have anything to add, like looking from Intel's next gen and AMD's next gen at the end of next year. I don't like to speculate, you know, sure. I, uh, I, I never like to make plans or think about what could happen because you're wasting your time, mm -hmm. wasting your energy. Uh, you want to focus on what you can do at the moment. That's why I don't like to deal with the uh, leaks or any of that stuff. It's to me, it's just a time. Whereas I deal with them constantly. Yeah, People yeah, seem yeah. to like them. I got enough on my plate. I, I don't need to deal with that. Uh, one thing, the one thing I'm looking at is it's not even going to be in Zen 4. I don't think so. But the one thing I'm really looking forward is the concept of having uh, GPU and CPUs on the same socket. That, that oh, those are coming by Zen 4, let me tell you. <laughs> we don't know. We don't. I mean, we don't know. Well, there's actually official slides that are out there that show that like this concept. So I, I think it's pretty clear. This is something they plan to have somewhere around Zen 4. You know, I don't think I've heard any whispers of Intel. I mean, it is something Intel's working on, but it, more firm stuff coming out of AMD on that. There's really no reason Intel couldn't try to do that as well. But I mean, so it's it's mega APUs. You don't want to have to have a graphics card in there next to the CPU. You want just one giant socketed chip, right? Well, it makes makes the systems a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, instead of having, because a lot of the cost of the server is the chassis and the cooling, it's, mm -hmm. and especially if you're putting in GPUs, the the cooling and the power delivery is the biggest concern you've got. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I buy servers. I don't, you know, I don't do a deal. You know, a long time ago I used to do DIY, but not with servers. But I used to do DIY. That's how I got into it. But building them yourself. Server. Yeah, I built. I, I used to build them myself. But uh, as servers got more powerful, it it was the biggest problem is that it it was the cooling and the power delivery and also the manageability and the hot swaps you know things that makes servicing a server with reliability easier and it was actually cheaper just to buy the server because really the the most valuable part of the server is not the motherboard the cpu or the memory or any of that stuff it's the chassis and the power supply that's actually mm -hmm. the most valuable part of the server is that and so you would say then like, you know, more performance, more core is always welcome. 
but that at the end of the day, what would really Depends on get your applications. you right? It's, sure. But you're saying at the end of the day, what would really excite you is if they could finally make that kind of mega integrated graphics CPU server that's chip. Really, yeah, that's going to be really because uh, what AMD has is a feature called MXGPU. So it's the ability mm-hmm. to have hardware virtualization. And I'm looking at the ability to be able to seal off applications from one another on the GPU. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because I don't want uh, one of the things, one thing I don't want is if I'm running multiple applications on the GPU, I don't want one application to kind of peek into what's going on on the other process. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest problems with uh, one thing I learned on NVIDIA is that a lot of stuff is done on software mm-hmm. and you don't have as much good fine grain control over the GPU. Mm-hmm. What I find is that NVIDIA, when you run it as a single app uh, GPU, where the one app monopolized the entire GPU, that's why NVIDIA is very stable. And that's pretty much how all the companies use their NVIDIA GPUs. They basically mm-hmm. use single app Per card. Operations. Yeah, single app operations, which is basically what a game is. Sing, uh, a game is a single app operations. Mm-hmm. It's one app. It's one application monopolizing the entire GPU. Well, but that's something AMD is working on right now that you see some of their with Stadia uh, from Google. I mean, I know they run multiple applications yes. off of one Vega graphics that's, card. That's the crucial feature that I am looking for because I because uh, I won't be running big applications. I'll be running a lot of little applications. They don't mm-hmm. need the whole GPU, but I want to have them taking slices of the GPU. And it's actually more efficient. Oh, yeah. From a power standpoint. Because, you know, you know you're fully saturating power. one card using 300 watts instead of maybe half using it at 150 and then powering a whole other card. And, you know, there's yeah. energy loss from doing that. Um, because, you know, the energy you're using isn't just what's reported in the application. It's also just, you know, thermodynamics and efficiency losses and just having, I mean, and I guess I don't know if you know this, but also the APU they're using for the Xbox Series X, that's going to be used for that as well. So they're going to dual use it for both their console, but they're going to also use it in cloud servers to stream four games at once at a lower resolution. So, so that, well, so wait a second. So I could argue they've made it then. <laughs> Your dream has come true. It's the Xbox Series. Well, they X. have to. Well, <laughs> well, it, I'm not going to use an Xbox for a server. Doesn't have. <laughs> well, it's not literally an. It, it wouldn't be literally an Xbox on the server, but they're going to use the APU that they're literally socketing into the, you know, the console in them to have it uh, uh, make it and readily it, available you know, for everyone. It has to be readily available in, in the channel. So. You know, again, I, I don't like to think about something that's theoretical. I want to think about what's actually available at the time. Well, it's not theoretical for Microsoft. They have it. They have their server APUs. They're just not selling them to you right now, I guess. But you'd have to imagine eventually they might do that. They, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, if they're selling it to, to Microsoft, you know, I, have I don't to know. They will. Um, by the way, the, the other thing is that when you talk about CPU generations, that's not how I talk about CPU generations. Uh, I like to talk about server generations based on the memory they use. Mm-hmm. So you have a, you know, going all the way back to 2000, you have the PC 133 memory, then you have the DDR memory, and then the DDR2 generation, then the DDR3 generation, and you get the DDR4 generation. The next one's the DDR5 generation. That's mm-hmm. how I group servers together. I group them based on the memory type because the, well, the, the xbox one actually uses gdr6 although i don't know if it could technically use 
DDR and the server use, but I'm guessing it's still just going to be a bunch of GDR6. I'm not custom re- man, not for you. I'm just saying technically it exists if you work at Microsoft. I'm not, that's all it, I'm saying. Yeah, that's that that's not But you my, want the more, you know, you know what is it? Uh like you want a Milan or a Genoa version. You want the big uh, publicly available one. That's and that's what would make uh, you think a lot of people maybe right, maybe they don't want to switch from an Nvidia graphics card like Quadro to AMD. But if it was in an APU, that might make them ax the NVIDIA card. First of all, it's uh, we don't bother with Quadros. We get uh, Teslas. Right. But I think they're going to stop calling them Teslas soon. Yeah. It, they're worried it confuses people because it's apparently confused with cars. I, I don't know. But I don't know if you <laughs> heard that, but they're going to stop calling them Teslas. I, I don't know. It, it, whatever. Uh, Bobby Billy writes in and he says, how would you describe enterprise, large financials, AMD purchase mix versus Intel of the last 12 months versus planned use in the coming 12 months? In other words, trail and test, experiment and trial use cases, dual source just in case, proper dual source with AMD. Right now, for the most part, it's going to be just testing, validation testing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony in Pennsylvania writes in and he says, what does Xilinx bring to the table in the data center market? Uh, I see they have data center acceleration listed as a solution in their website. It seems to center around AI. How prevalent are Xilinx solutions in the data centers? How would AMD's portfolio benefit from the acquisition of them? That one, you know, I'm not as familiar with Xilinx. I know what they do. Um, Mm -hmm. They're much bigger in the the embedded space, not so much in the server space. Um, I think they really just got into it. I'm not as familiar with it. The first big, really accelerator that that we're familiar with is Nvidia with their Tesla cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know enough about it. Um, it's it's not a company I kind of work you know, dealt with. So it's I from what I saw, it's mostly in the embedded space. Again, I'm not really in that space. Okay. All right. So. Discussion point here is let's touch on ARM being an acquired by NVIDIA. Well, part of the so. So, yeah. How do you what do you think about? I think you just be a good person to ask this in general. NVIDIA buying ARM, assuming, you know, the acquisition goes through. How do you see that affecting the server market with them being able to control possibly their own CPUs? I think it's great for NVIDIA, actually. It's it's they're going to be able to build an entire appliance solution with their gpus Mm -hmm. and they're going to max out that performance they're going to get the most out of their gpus Mm -hmm. um and then basically you buy this you can actually what they'll do is they'll probably lease out to companies instead of selling them they'll just lease them out Mm -hmm. and they'll basically have the cloud applications you know through containers or whatnot um basically just tie into it and they'll just get a results back you know i believe they'll probably be using restful apis they'll have restful apis so they'll send a RESTful API call to the appliance, and then they'll get back a result in probably JSON format. And then they'll go about uh, presenting the data to whatever they got to do. And uh, I think that's actually going to be great for them because then we don't have, for a lot of companies, we just don't have to deal with the intricacies of the NVIDIA hardware. Just It's a black box. Mm. It's there. We call it. We got a problem. You don't have we, to worry about working them together. It's just one NVIDIA server, right? And then we'll, yep, yeah, that's it. It's just plug it in, plug plug the network in, and set your calls in uh, on your applications, and you're ready. You're good to go. 
it's actually pretty good. It, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a good thing for them. I think they're going to be very successful for, and I think they're going to go to a leasing model. Uh, I think it mm-hmm. totally makes sense because then uh, when the company's leases, uh, it's lease gives Nvidia kind of a steady recurring revenue for them. Right. And that's really good. Um, it's uh, it looks well for Wall Street too. That other people were just having instead of them. So, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. All I can ever usually say when people ask me about this is, well, I think it's a logical, you know, thing for Nvidia to do. I think it should benefit them. Um, and then, of course, people ask, well, is this going to hurt other people though? Like, do you think AMD or Intel should be worried about this? You know, you have AMD who makes good processors, decent graphics cards. They can sell them together. Intel's trying to sell graphics cards with their CPUs together, supposedly, if they can get their graphics cards off the ground anytime soon, you know, and then now NVIDIA can combine them. Like, do you see this as really changing much or just making it so NVIDIA? Yeah, because it kind of sounds like you're saying it's just going to make NVIDIA get more profits out of a part of the pie they were already in. Yeah, and they, they can also expand, but again, um, it takes a long time to, sh- I mean, it's changing platforms. I mean, to go from Intel to AMD, it takes a long time. I mean, for me to go from 32-bit to 64-bit took me eight years. Yeah. So you think about those kind of timelines, you know, I just don't see people switching off of x86. To ARM. To ARM for 40 years at least. Mm-hmm. And you're saying basically, like, if someone got fed up with Intel, they're much more likely to just go to x86 at AMD, not Yeah, they'll go to AMD at that point. If they're fed up with Intel, they'll go to AMD. But I guess you could say there's room for NVIDIA to take market share in the ARM server market. It's just, it's not really one that's Intel and AMD. The the other thing that no one talks about, the, the big pitfalls I see with ARM, whether you go to Amazon's Graviton processors or Microsoft or Google, is that are the software going to be portable between all the different ARM implementations? Mm-hmm. Because if they're not, you've balkanized the entire ARM ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And nobody in the industry is going to invest in hardware that's been balkanized. Okay. Well, let me move on yep. to another question here. So Panic582D writes in and says, number one, how much of a role do you see ARM chips playing in the server platforms of the future outside of hyperscalers, custom silicon? Will they challenge x86 anytime soon? Well, it sounds like you just said no to that, right? No. <laughs> and then I guess then question number two, any thoughts on Intel's recent missteps, security issues, manufacturing woes, political infighting, they're doing, can you see them catching up to AMD? And the, well, I guess we've covered most of that. Um, unless you have something else to add about Intel, I guess the one thing I would say is if you have any thoughts on the political infighting that's come out of there, but it's, you know, kind of rumors it's, and gossip. It, it, you know, when, when I learned about the uh, seven nanometer delays and, uh, and then now most recently the, uh, the drop, in uh, enterprise sales and in margins and the fact that in our that on the customer side which is on my and that we're buying cheaper as cheap intel processors as possible and cycling them every three years uh their profit margins is just going down Mm -hmm. and now the thing is again that drop that's only one quarter that's not enough. You have to see a pattern. There's no trend right now. It could be an aberration. Uh, but one thing you can definitely tell is that when you look at the analysts on CNBC, um, 
they're they're not they're having they're basically Intel's on a short leash to Wall Street mm. and their analysts they're they're basically admitting that they were wrong and they basically eat the humble pie mm-hmm. on TV. So uh, yeah, there's there's quite a bit of people there's quite a bit of analysts that are not happy with Intel. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of analysts that for some reason were just like doubling and tripling. I saw it all the time. These like editorials put out there like AMD's overvalued and Intel's right around. And, you know, and now they're probably really unhappy that they defended Intel's missteps and that they're still happening. Well, again, this is not for financial. This is not financial advice. And I don't own stocks in any of these companies. So I have no dog in this fight, too. You know. The the thing about this AMD is 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 uh they don't give out dividends, mm-hmm. so you really don't know what its real value is. You know, mm-hmm. and the other thing you got to think about is that the Federal Reserve is just pumping up all the stocks. So yeah, um, even Intel they give out a dividend. Uh, it's still I mean all the stocks are just too expensive. You know, so I I I just wouldn't bother with any of them. Oh, well, <laughs> let me move on to this final question from Panic. He says, any thoughts on Risk 5 If ARM's going to take that long, Risk 5 is going to even be longer. If anything, uh, Risk 5 is a At least in server, right? Farm. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, um, you know, when I was at Hot Chips last year, of course, I couldn't go physically this year. Um, it was interesting. I would just ask people whether they worked at ARM, AMD, Intel other software and hardware companies, you know, what's the thing no one's paying enough attention to? Everyone just kept saying risk five, risk five, risk five. And so I was like, okay, well, I better take notice because risk five is clearly a big deal if everyone's talking about it. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, it's everyone said the same thing about ARM and ARM has done well, let's be clear. (laughs) But, you know, I have to say about Risk Five, with how well the how well AMD's innovating in x86, and ARM is you know a juggernaut now as well. I just I think Risk Five is going to be used for some things, but I still think it would take a while to just compete in any of these markets with the established you know come you know standards. It takes a long time. I mean, x86 has got what forty year head start. Mm-hmm. Year. 40 year? I mean, and I think a lot of people talking about the downfall of x86 were thinking about Intel. They weren't realizing that AMD will just innovate instead of them. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the ISA, I think, will continue on because there's just such a large ecosystem for x86 software that if Intel goes away, somebody else is going to make x86 hardware. Right. It just, uh, that's just too much to abandon. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as you're saying, at least in the server space, you don't see Risk Five doing much anytime, anytime no. soon at all. No, no. I mean, the, I, I I believe the area where ARM probably makes the biggest push is probably going to be in your consumer uh, mobile hardware space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest challenge is basically your your kind of your business desktops. Yeah. You know, or your home user desktops. Um, that's probably what where. You know, I mean, just from, you know, from your audience perspective, being on games, if you can only buy ARM based desktops, because that's all that's supported. Uh, what happened to all your games that are x86 based? No, know? they'd have to be emulated, you know, on there. Yeah. Will it be good performance? You know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's always going to be a market for there for for the x86. 
So now this is speaking of games. This is kind of a, a random question, but someone submitted it. Joseph Thorne writes in and says, what wins, if any, do the advancements that Sony made with the PS5's custom storage controller, which was actually co-developed with Marvel, by the way, bring to the server business side? I don't know if you have much to add to that. There's not much. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a faster at, uh, SSD. That's what. You yeah, I mean, we're looking at the PCI Gen 5 and with Gen 4 or the newer version of Intel. Mm hmm. Um, I think that's going to be the big, uh, the big adoption. People are going to adopt mm -hmm. that one. I think the enterprise market is probably going to skip Gen Four because mm -hmm. it's going to be a short-lived generation. I think Gen Five is going to be the longer generation. Well, it's already coming late next year, so yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, like even my own servers, um, my own servers are even though this ROM is capable of Gen Four, I'm my server is only Gen Three. Mm -hmm. and I don't even utilize anywhere near to saturating a Gen 3 bus. So it, the other problem with the Gen 4 bus is that it actually has higher uh, higher idle power usage yep. on the motherboard. And, and that's also a negative for Gen 4. Mm -hmm. So all my machines, uh, even my 3950X is on Gen 3, and I will not be using Gen 4. I will not be doing any 570 or anything <laughs> Because of power consumption, it's just not necessary. All right. So Wooly writes in and he says a sequence of questions about cloud, remote gaming, and software. Question number one What are the challenges in making programs games that can accept and respond well to remote inputs? I mainly work, I'm on the infrastructure side, not so much on the software engineering side. That's really a software engineering side. I think that's going to be more like how do you create how do you overcome the natural latency of your inputs from a remote location to the server and back end and make it as equitable as possible? Uh, because you're going to have different latency experiences between all the diff different uh, users, and you want to make sure you have an equal experience to all the users. So how do you engineer that kind of experience? Um, this is beyond my uh, scope, but that's what I figure that's probably what it's going to be like. And I think he has an interesting question here. I don't know if you can speak to it. So his second question is, the speed of light given as a constant, what is the best latency to be expected from the Middle East and Africa to European and American servers, ideally? Well, the longer the distance, the greater the latency. <laughs> Potatoes Our Life writes in and says, do you have any thoughts on Intel 10 slash 7 nanometer? It seems like 10 nanometer is still six months off from real server volume. Uh, based on what I know, yeah, six more than six months off from the full volume. And 7 nanometer is most likely first half of 2023. Um, And high volume, yeah, that probably be when it is. Uh, yep, based on what I know. When you compare this to TSMC, they say they will be ready already on 3 nanometer or better by 2023. So I mean like we've kind of talked about, you know, Intel's performance and their ability to compete, but like what do you have any overall thoughts on that? The idea that Intel really won't be to where TSMC is now until 2023 and by then uh, TSMC will be on two more newer nodes. That's why Intel is on a short leash by Wall Street. Mm -hmm. They know how serious it is. And uh, we're watching. I mean, 20, uh, we're, we're watching. We, 
um, they cannot have any more delays on seven nanometers. I mean, they've already blown it on 10 nanometers. Now you have, I mean, if they got seven nanometers out on time, then okay, we get it. 10, 10 nanometers is just a fluke. Okay. Mm hmm. We're going to be fine with that, but now you have seven nanometers. You got ten nanometers and seven nanometers being delayed. You know what you do is you end up throwing our schedules out of whack. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, uh, we're still having supply issues with servers, and so it just throws our planning out of whack. The reason why we like to stay on Intel is predominantly because of supply chain stability and security and reliability. Mm -hmm. uh, it's we don't really care about the performance of the products. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's not so much because the performance of a product is just a point in time. It's a moment in time. Mm. Uh, what we want is yeah, you that view it as a commodity and it's always going to be better in the future. It's always going to be available in the future. Mm -hmm. It's more important than being better in the future. You know, right. Because sure, it's, nice it, it's a constant, but what's not constant is if you can get what you need. Right. Yes. And, and, uh, so and that's a huge problem with AMD, especially uh, the pre-Zen days, is that they were just not a reliable source. Mm -hmm. I, I, and you said you had concerns about that last year. So again, I think I already asked you, but you're saying you do view them as reliable now. Well, Intel's reliability has gone down. So what's the <laughs> risk of going to AMD at that point? Yeah. Remember, lowest risk wins, even though, you know, if you get two bad choices, you want to pick the least worst choice. Mm hmm. So it's not so much AMD went up, but it's Intel that went down. AMD is definitely improving, but Intel's going down. And so do you want to risk it at that point? And remember, it's all about risk, risk management. Mm -hmm. And in servers, it's supply chain reliability. It's uh, we rather have the stuff available than the stuff performing the best. And that's different from your audience where they want the best. <laughs> the know? best, the best, the best. Yeah, it, it, that that's a different mindset because you're still uh, seeing that now with, by the way, NVIDIA's Ampere versus RDNA 2, where I'm like, look, guys, the performance is roughly the same. And AMD is using substantially less energy for a lower cost. And they're like, yeah, but one's five percent better. And it's like <sighs> the problem is that performance Man, is, a moment, <laughs> is a moment in time. Yeah. And you're only getting that benefit for a short period of time. And you got to think about it. Uh, if it takes you a year to save up the money to buy that card and it only benefits you for a few months, why would you trade a year's of work for a few months of benefits? Mm -hmm. Like you if know, you're saying if you're playing the same games anyways. Yeah, it, 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 uh, you got to think about what's the time value of your what's the time value of money? Well, yeah, that gets into the bigger discussion. This is a, like a discussion I've had with some of my closer friends, just like. You know, it's easy to get wrapped up in how cool these super graphics cards are. And they are cool. But at the same time, I have to go, yeah, I just don't know if I'm ever paying more than this much amount of money for a card, no matter what it does. And are you and, gonna unless it's outlandishly good or something, you know, and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm playing, you know, Battlefield games and, you know, games I've been playing for years and um, they seem to run fine. I mean, I, I don't know, just $700 for more than that for a graphics card. And 700 is still more than most people would pay, you know. It's understanding what your use case are, what mm -hmm. your applications need, and just buy what your application need. For then again, you can make the argument people have, you know, excess money to spend, and it's fun. 
I get it. I mean, that's that's what it really comes down to is people want a new toy and like, I'm going to spend this money somewhere. So that's just understand what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's just understand, you know, you want it, you want to play around it. You want to explore and experience and enjoy it. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, to us, it's, it's just means to end. It's a tool. We just want to get it in there and make money and move on, you know, you know, and I, mean, I and I think it's important to relate this back to something you said last year as well, which was that the server market really, I mean, look, some people probably had an issue with it, but you said the people doing purchasing like you didn't have that much of a problem with Intel only being 10% better every year because it made it so easy to do your job and plan ahead. Yeah, I like that. that. Yeah. And, and so as, the problem as with bad Intel, as stagnation feels it's it actually benefited us. What Intel failed at was not seeing the changes happening to the landscape and managing managing those changes while still maintaining uh, stability for the customers, in this case, us. So we like stability, but that Intel should have looked out ahead and see what we were doing and then design new products to meet the new challenges of the new landscape while still providing us the stability that we demand. Mm-hmm. Like having, you know, they see us virtualizing service back in 2008 we're starting virtualizing all the servers and they should have had the foresight to realize, Hey, you know, maybe we should start thinking about security, mm-hmm. you know? And they did. Yeah, so at the end of the day though, even manage. though gamers complain about the performance, not getting better from Intel for a long time for you at the end of the day, it wasn't the performance. It was just the fact that it was the reliability. Like once you lose that, that matters way, 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 way more than like, the stagnation of 10% every year. Like that wasn't the issue, right? No, no, it doesn't. It is stagnation. Doesn't it actually helps. It, it doesn't hurt. It helps. And, uh, but when you have, uh, reliability issues that costs more, that's, you think about it, you know, just even my own, even where I was at the healthcare place, we had a, uh, another business that we serviced that had 200 users. Yeah. Okay. If you have a downtime, one hour can cause a hundred grand over a hundred grand. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but it was well into the six, it was, it was well into the six figures per hour. So that, that makes uh, a $25,000, uh, Nvidia Tesla card looks like chump change. So you, I don't know, would you say this then? So if Intel fails to get to seven nanometer by when they say they will now, I guess, like the biggest problem still isn't really their performance loss versus AMD. It's still that it's like, well, look, we really can't rely on Intel to get anything done when they say they will. That's what the problem that's, really would that, be. That's where Wall Street's seeing the problem and we're seeing the problem is mm-hmm. is supply chain. We're seeing the problem with the supply chain uh, reliability. All right. Um, I got one more reader mail here and it comes from Fabian Stuckman. He says, can Docker enable hardware? Uh, independent software. Oh wait, can Docker enable hardware independent software deployment? Is enterprise software written in hardware independent languages? If not, why not? Is there a trend to go hardware independent? Let me say, uh, Docker is the uh, platform that manages containerized applications, but that's just not everything. It's just a part of it. Uh, then you also have what we call orchestrators. That's actually what makes containers sing. Mm-hmm. Is the orchestration, and the, the most popular one is Kubernetes. That's developed by Google. 
Uh, although at uh, my employer place, we tried using Google and we didn't like Kubernetes. So we actually use Apache Nomad. We find that it works better for our applications. So we wind up using going with that. Um, as far as software independent deployment, we've been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. The big language is Python. And what you can do with Python is you, it's an interpreted language, uh, sort of like Shell or Perl you know, for mm-hmm. old timers. But instead, you can actually do co- compilations. So you can compile uh, Python code and run it as a binary to get speed and performance out of it. And the way you basically do dis- deployments, you do distribution, you can do uh, the most popular one is uh, using Jenkins. Uh, I know another one called Team. Uh, I've got the name, but it's, uh, it begins with Team. Uh, it's basically a, uh, a CICD pipeline uh, orchestration tool or continuous integration, continuous development orchestration tool. But the most popular one's Jenkins. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everyone's going to hardware independence. Again, it's to commoditize everything. Networking, software, uh, networking, uh, storage, compute, uh, OSs, everything. They want to commoditize everything because it puts the power in our hands. That's the mm-hmm. key. We don't want to be held captive by vendors period by any vendors and all vendors it's right a power, it's a power play that we are making against all amd included okay well so that's all of the discussion points i had that's all of the uh reader mails i had uh that we were able to answer at the very least i mean is there anything else uh, you want to talk about relating to you know amd intel or arm and servers anything you know, is there anything else you wanted to discuss that maybe we didn't? I do find something really interesting with uh, my Epic server, um, something I've never seen in a, in a server before. Mm-hmm. And that is when I fire up the uh, the server, it would use about 370 watts at startup. Yeah. Okay. But then... If I leave it on over two weeks, one thing I've noticed is that it drops down, you know, it goes up to around 370, then it settles at 350. But then over two weeks, it starts to decrease in power usage down to, it settles around 320 watts. I have never seen that before. And the performance doesn't change? Like you don't? Performance actually increased over the course of two weeks. Hmm. And I suspect that's because of the cash, the giant cash on the chip. Right. It would be because of that, because now it's, it's like not the longer it's on, movement. the more it's caching exactly what it needs to cache, most importantly. Because I don't change the usage. server. Yeah. Because I, it runs the same thing over and over, and I don't change the server. And we've been on, and I've been kind of really locking down the server in terms of not having changes. I just don't want to have any problems. And so the server just doesn't change. You're not changing anything. And so this, so the server is not really doing a lot of data movement in the memory, mm-hmm. not doing a lot of data movement to the disk. And so your power usage actually goes down. Um, yeah. Which I have never seen that before. It was, and then the performance is actually, the, you can actually feel the speed actually increase over time. Uh, I've never seen that before, to be honest with you. You know, that's an interesting thing to bring up because I don't know if you saw the RDNA 2 gaming graphics cards announcement, but they're putting a massive amount of Zen-like cash on the gaming graphics that's cards cool. now. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, 
that's really innovative. That's going to help out on the efficiency. That's right. See, it's funny we talk about efficiency, and I think everyone's like, oh, because now they can have a 256-bit bus instead of a 384-bit bus, which, yes, that's true, and it allows them to be more economical with how much RAM they put on it. It's just cheaper for a multitude of reasons, but it's interesting you bring up the cash. That means the longer you're playing one game, you should see power usage slowly get down as it caches the data you need more than, right? So that's a long I, I don't know if it's over. We'll have to see, right? But I, I just don't think uh, games are just too big and monolithic to really take full and advantage. And randomized. Yeah. Like in the, in the types of data they're moving. Very, very small, even though the, the, the smaller cache of cache on Rome versus Milan, um, my applications are in the kilobytes or the hundreds of kilobytes. So like 16 megs of cache. I mean, four megs cash per core. I mean, that's massive for those applications. Well, you know what I bet, though? People are already asking me because, you know, Bitcoin's price is going up. Like, is RDNA 2 going to be good at mining? And uh, what you just told me is, oh, so wait a second. If you're mining with an RDNA 2 chip over time, it's probably going to be hyper efficient relative to everything else, isn't it? Because that would be the same type of operation. I don't know that. Well, I'll speak for you. Yeah. Uh, I didn't consider that that would make RDNA2 even more efficient than otherwise at mining as well because of the same type of data being stored over and over. Yeah, it's... I, it, dep- it would depend on the algorithm that you're mining, though. It would, uh, you know, but... I, I definitely noticed that with uh, with my Epic servers is is uh, is that. And uh, um, another thing is that uh, I've also bought three more Epic servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is for my home because I had, uh, I was going to get an Epic server, but the problem is because of the pandemic, I was not able. I had uh, supply chain problems with getting delivery because you know, sites were getting lockdowns and uh, states were getting locked down. So it was good. It was kind of difficult to get parts. So out of expediency, I decided to get a 3950X. Mm-hmm. Uh, I run it as a server, loaded up with 128 gigs of RAM. Um, and, uh, I run it at only 1500 megahertz maximum. So no, it's never seen three gigahertz in its life. And it took me three months to just absolutely crush that machine. It, it, I was basically running the, uh, storage array, 118 virtual machines, five development environments, mm-hmm. and also a, uh, a number of, uh, embedded environments. So you basically, you're talking about 130 virtual machines plus the storage array, and it died. So, but I knew it was not going to be enough given the workload. So... Now, uh, now why do you... Now, it's funny. I've never broken a CPU. No, no, not not breaking it. No, no. I oh, okay. I was going to say, I'm like, I, if it literally broke, that's not good. <laughs> it shouldn't no, do no, that. No, no, no. Uh, it, it got to a point where it was so... The 3950X was so bogged down, it's spin lock, and it start, VMs were starting to die on me. But you were using, you know, what I have in my desktop, you know, as a server chip. So that's still pretty impressive. It was able to do that much for you, I guess. I still had another two thirds of applications and VMs to want to run to go. And I knew it was not going to be enough. So I bought three additional. And by that point, the other thing I've noticed, the biggest problem I've had with the 3950X is the memory capacity. Uh, being only 128 gigs, I basically cut through that like a hot knife through butter. Well, they want you to get Threadripper or Epic <laughs> if you want more RAM. So, um, Threadripper is only 256 limited. The consumer's type. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not the uh, Lenovo uh, third uh, Threadripper Pro. Um, it's funny you say Lenovo because contact I have six twenty. Yeah, that I've talked to about it uh, said that Threadripper Pro practically Lenovo only as of now. Yes, I know. Yeah, well, it's funny because I don't think enough people are talking about that. That it's based how close AMD and Lenovo are getting. Yeah, I guess I guess the final thing to say about all of these things we've just been discussing in the last five minutes is, um, you know, I think cash is just going to continue to be look the look the farther ahead TSMC gets over well not just intel everyone the more this cash advantage is going to be there for amd because you know one core in zen 2 is five millimeters squared that's tiny it's taking up no die space for cores because they keep shrinking so well so well cash doesn't shrink as well as cores do as you go to a smaller node you're still freeing up tons of space every time you die shrink and so what do you do with that easy answer add more cash and it's i mean you're saving I mean, energy. Yeah. You know, NVIDIA said that uh, the biggest cost is moving data around. Mm-hmm. And what happens with, with that giant cache on, on Epic, you know, I get that uh, two weeks that the reduction, you know, as the server kind of settles in, it uh, the power consumption redu- went down, the speed went up at the same time, mm-hmm. which, yeah. It, well, and then, yeah, so think how efficient those mega APUs would be, too, if they're sharing cache between the GPU and the CPU yeah. on big chip. That's, that's going to be that's, such a hyper-efficient that's, that's, device. That's that's really what I'm really excited about, is that um, efficiency is what makes, is what helps a a system age well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more efficient your hardware is, the better it ages, because... You can make that hardware run a long time, you know, get 10 years. You know, I, if I could push it up to 12 years, I'd like to do that. Uh, 15 years is a little bit long on the tooth, but, uh, you know, 10, 12 years using that hardware. And what's going to make that hardware viable at that time period is the efficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't want to buy uh, a 400 water, 56 core Cascade Lake AP. Uh, that costs fifty grand per mm-hmm. chip, and, and it runs I mean, itself into the ground. Yeah, it's gonna. It, well, it, it's gonna be by time you. I mean, if you run that thing for ten to twelve years, you could have bought a yeah. new upgrade in five years' time. It's mm-hmm. it just it, the math doesn't work. The numbers don't work. And well, I, also, I think that's a good thing to close on, though. Uh, just bringing it full circle on efficiency. I do have one last thing: is that the. Uh, I actually do not recommend using Ryzen's for servers because mm-hmm. you mean Ryzen's like 3950X, right? Yeah, yeah, 5950X or 3950X, any of those. And the reason is that when you start getting to ECC UDIM memories, mm-hmm. um, it gets really expensive, about 50% more expensive than RD or DIMMs, which is what servers use. Okay. Registered DIMMs and uh and the biggest cost for servers is memory. Mm-hmm. And so even though Epic is more expensive than Ryzen, the memory, especially when you get past 128, it starts to equal out. Oh, okay. So I bought... So, so you're I, saying don't build a bunch of 3950X systems. Well, it depends of- what you do. It depends what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that what I'm trying to do with a 3950X, it just, it just got killed. Um, it was simply too much for the 3950X. 
and it also blew through all the memory. So now I've gotten uh, Epic's uh, three Epic sixteen cores and three servers, sixteen cores. Of- yeah, yeah. So then you're also saying just get a sixteen core Epic instead of a thirty nine fifty X. And then I load them up with the two fifty six megs, uh, two no two hundred fifty six gigs of RAM a pop. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is that the 3950X and the other things that I can get security out of them. So all the modern stuff, I run it on the epics and then the old legacy stuff, which don't need as much, which don't need the security. I'll run them on the Ryzen because they don't use as much memory being that they're older. So I run the older stuff on the Ryzen. I basically lower the clock speed from 1.5 to one gigahertz. So right now the, the 3950X is running at one at one gigahertz. And uh, the epics are running at about one two and one five, so nothing above. Uh, so, other than the main epic, which is in the data center, that one I actually have to kick up to one point eight, and that's simply because of the loading. But as soon as the pandemic's over and the loading comes down, I'll basically drop them down to one five. So pretty much all the machines I got are going to be running no faster than one five. Yeah, I mean that's a number that kind of seems like the magic number for efficiency all the time, to be honest. 1.4 is the magic, is the sweet spot. All right. Well, I mean, that is actually a pretty good point for people considering just going with one or the other for a smaller server, relatively speaking. I don't, I, I got to say, it's getting a little late here, so I don't have much else it's, to add. It's midnight in uh, in the East Coast. Yeah. But, you know, I do, I do really appreciate you making the time to come on, you know, on a Sunday and uh, it just, you know, with the Zen three announcements happening around and now is the perfect time to start talking about AMD and Intel security. You know, like this is the week to do it before everyone starts focusing on their graphics cards and uh, PlayStation and Xbox again. But uh, we got you a little bit of food for thought. I think if you're a gamer in terms of what RDNA two will do and, and again, just remember, you know, you want this server APU. It exists. It's the Xbox right now. <laughs> you just can't have it, man. At least not. We'll wait. Today. We'll wait for the right time. All right. Well, uh, yep. I mean, thank you for coming on and uh, have a good evening. You too. Take care. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. 
and give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Tello, Steen, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim Box, Joshua Alvin, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Do, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Dave Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Talos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exotic, Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Drita Full, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Cedia Tech, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Power, Cyanora, Alenia, Joshua Stavenis, Neil Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Karaman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Macto 226, Saber Z Birds, Licky, Man Porshegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Greffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Comarco, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Master Andy Wan, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Maxime Bratukin, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Messiers, Paul Bogdan, Morin Svensson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Jack Pym, JBG, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futeau, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dan- Dean Despotsovsky, Paul J., My Name is Nobody, Ruben Marr, Louise Correa, John Jameson, Eshil Dar Epstein, Luca, Anders Bourbon, Matthew Lazier, Tim Robbins, HardForeRoom.com, Susanna Maria, and Daniel Olson. And thank you to Sahara for the music. 